If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. Are you dissatisfied with your spiritual progress, feeling stuck without knowing why, even after deliverance prayers or years of therapy? Recover your dignity, find your purpose, and discover the thrill of walking with God once again. Explore spiritual consultations with Sonia at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Click Go Deeper on the homepage, then one-on-one, and find out how to cooperate more deeply with the Holy Spirit's action in your life with a spiritual consultation. show. I'm Sonia Corbett, your Catholic evangelista. In the last show on our Samada series, the elevation of the body is what we're talking about today. The Eucharist, healing and resurrection, the second coming, Jesus's ascension, Mary's assumption, and our resurrection of the body. So every single thing we do as Christians is about resurrection. The theologians call this teleology, or the looking forward. And the final forward for us, at least what's been revealed, we don't know what comes after that necessarily, but the looking forward is about the resurrection. Right after his ascension, the remaining apostles, the 11, remember that Judas killed himself, but they all gathered together in order to choose somebody to replace him. And it's interesting that they understood that that was a necessity. And Peter says in Acts chapter one, that whomever they chose had to be one of the men who have accompanied us, he says, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. So it's interesting because he actually elaborates in verse 22 as to why they had to choose another apostle. And because he says, Peter says, he must become a witness with us to his resurrection. And he goes on, all of them do. They go on to preach the resurrection of Christ after Pentecost. Peter heals the lame beggar in Acts 3. And he points to the resurrection of Christ. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to murderer to be granted to you and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, he says in chapter three. And then in chapter four, when the Jewish authorities start to challenge him, they ask him, what's your power and authority? Why are you doing these works? Why are you preaching? And he says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you, speaking of himself. He points to the resurrection and his witness, his own personal witness of seeing Christ risen. That is the whole point of his preaching and all of the miracles that he had been working through the book of Acts. And it, it wasn't just him. Paul also, he actually puts the resurrection front and center. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's actually a, a really good chapter. I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but you should read the entire chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and look at what Paul says about the resurrection. Paul says he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve 
then by over 500 brethren at once. And then he was seen by James and all the apostles. And then Paul says he was seen by me as one born out of due time. Paul actually saw him on the road to Damascus, remember? He says that all of these apostles have seen the risen Christ and that their job is to preach that resurrection, both of Christ and ultimately of us too. And he says, if there is no resurrection, what's the point of our faith at all? If Christ is not risen, then we are still in our sins. We are, we are dead in our sins. We are destined for hell. There is no salvation. There is no resurrection. There is no hope, not for us and not for all of the people that we love who have already died. And then he goes on to say that Christ is the new Adam. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. And all of us will follow after Christ. We will receive a glorious body. And he says that the body that we will receive will be according to the bodies that we have now. He says in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39, all flesh is not the same, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption or in death, but it is raised in incorruption, meaning it will never die again. It's sown in dishonor because of sin. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I'm sorry. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood in and of themselves without resurrection cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. He means dead. We shall not all die, but we shall be changed. So some people will remain here at the second coming when the dead shall rise. He says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is actually a line from Handel's Messiah that I listen to every single Christmas and and a a lot throughout the year. Um, Incorruptible. It said, he goes on to say in verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's because of this resurrection that is coming. Everything we do, this is the eschatos or the looking toward the end, the resurrection of the dead. Everything we do is centered around the resurrection, the idea of the elevation of the body, not just of Christ, but also of us. And the whole point is that we're supposed to be witnesses. According to Paul, according to Peter, we are supposed to be witnesses as well to the resurrection. And since we, with our eyeballs, cannot see Jesus resurrected in his body, in his human body, how are we supposed to be witnesses of the resurrection? Well, first of all, we have been resurrected at baptism. The soul is resurrected and made new at baptism. Paul says we are buried with him by baptism in death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, he says in Romans 6. But it doesn't just end with that. Every time we go to confession, we're also raised from our sins into that new life in Christ. And not only that, but when we receive Holy Communion, we're receiving the risen Christ. So the question has to be, what kind of witness are you to the resurrection? Has your life changed? Do you live differently? Are you free from sin? Is your body healing? And this, these aren't questions to, uh, that are meant to be indictments. They're not accusations or criticisms if we find ourselves, you know, still in the morass of sin and sickness and illness and those kinds of things. I'm just, all I'm doing is pointing us all toward the resurrection at the last day. We, we look forward to it to the point of sin where we expect that we shouldn't do anything except just look forward to the end when God will make things new in the resurrection. So there's no point in really working on sin here and, and getting better physically or taking care of our bodies. We are looking forward so far to the future that we do nothing in the present. And that is a grave mistake, according to the church, because all of us, according to the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215, it says that both the reprobate and the elect, all of whom will rise with their own proper bodies, which they now bear. So the question has to be, what kind of body are we in right now? Does it continue to get better? Are we taking care of it? And again, I'm, this is not an indictment if we find ourselves sick or in disease, but knowing what we know now about the connection between the soul and the body, are we healing the soul and healing the body? Because the human person is both soul and body. And as one improves, the other improves. And where one goes, the other goes. And at the resurrection, we will be raised in the body that we have now. Which is why you can see why Paul says, be aware that your body is the temple of God.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Let's get social. I'm no longer on Facebook, so come and connect with me in the new Catholic Evangelista community. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to our community. We're sharing pics and prayers, love the word takeaways and insights on the daily readings, and everything else social. Come share with me. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. The Bible tells us that when Jesus returns to earth, He will physically raise all of those who have died, giving them back the bodies they lost at death. And they will be the same bodies that we all had in earthly life. But our resurrection bodies will not die. And for the righteous, they will be transformed into a glorified state in which they are free completely from suffering and pain. They're enabled to do lots of the amazing things that Jesus could do with his glorified body, but also they will live forever, forever and ever and ever. You will live in the body that you have now that has been raised. (laughs) I don't know what that makes you feel like, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know about that, Lord. And think about all of the things that we know happened With Jesus in his resurrected body, he was seen and he was touched by Thomas. He was touched by Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Remember, he said, let go of me. He ate and he drank. Remember at the resurrection when they were the the apostles were in the boat and Jesus was was cooking the fish on the bank and he ate with them. They saw and touched his wounds, the wounds of his crucifixion. He appeared and he disappeared through walls and locked doors, even with his resurrected body. My son and I, my oldest son and I have had several conversations along this line. A former priest of mine and he, my son, had been talking about this once. And he, my son told me that the priest said that he believed that our resurrected bodies, our glorified bodies, will be more real, more alive than we can imagine now. And I don't know how to put words to this, but more alive. Look at Jesus as he, he kind of went through walls and doors. Somehow his body is more alive than the walls and the doors. And of course, we would say that walls and doors are not alive, but... We know from physics that everything is actually made of light. So it's almost like the the parts of Jesus's body could disassemble and reassemble around the particles of the doors and the, the walls somehow. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's all speculation, right? But the, the part that's important is that we will also have those abilities in our own resurrection bodies. So this resurrection is absolutely essential, essential to our faith, to Christian doctrine. And in fact, as I, I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it's the, the central part 
if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or who have died in Christ have have just died. They've perished. So we can't have Christian faith without this doctrine. And it has been infallibly defined by the church here by Paul in the scriptures. But then also in the earliest creed, the Apostles Creed, the next one, the Nicene Creed, and then the Athanasian Creed, and it is solemnly, infallibly taught by the ecumenical councils, which is one of those is that Fourth Lateran Council that I told you about, where it infallibly defined that at the second coming, Jesus will judge the living and the dead and render to every person according to his works, both to the reprobate and to the elect. All of them will rise with their own bodies, which they now wear, so as to receive according to their deserts, whether these be good or bad. And then it references Romans chapter 2. And our catechism also says, we believe in the true resurrection of this flesh that we now possess. And it references the Council of Lions. We sow, it says, a corruptible body in the tomb, meaning a, a body that is mortal, that can can and will die, but he raises up an incorruptible body, a spiritual body. That's in the Catechism 1017. So we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we know that it will occur. And so the salvation of the soul that begins now and is completed at the the our death and purgatory will also occur in our flesh. Our bodies will die because they are mortal, because of original sin, but they will be raised incorruptible, meaning they will not ever die again. So whether we are raised to eternal hell or eternal heaven is what we call those states, whichever one we are raised to, according to our works here in the body, that is what we live with in the body for all eternity. I mean, that's a heavy thought. We say this creed, we say the Nicene Creed at every Mass, and we say it without really thinking about what we're saying and what it means. And just like salvation begins now and occurs throughout our lives unto the full and final salvation, our bodies are being saved as well in the same way. That's why we have the sacraments. They're not just for the soul because the human person is not just a soul. The human person is a body too. And so your body is important. It's important to take care of it. It's important that you heal on the inside so that your flesh can also begin to heal outside because you are a human person, a soul and body, spirit and matter. We are one And this is so important in the doctrine of the church for the divinity and the humanity of Christ and why the church defines that Jesus is both divine and truly human because he elevates the flesh. He elevates the flesh in the Eucharist. He elevates our flesh in healing. He elevates our flesh at the resurrection of the dead in his second coming. And remember that Simeon, the theologian, said we're living the second coming. We're already living in it. It's that teleology. It's that looking forward to the resurrection in a way that acts in faith now. You can't just sit on your fanny and expect God to do everything 
for you. He has given you all of the sacraments. He's given you the scriptures. He's given us every single tool we could possibly need to appropriate the gift of our salvation, both for the soul and the body. And sitting on our butts and expecting him to do everything for us instead of battling sin and praying every day and working to heal our bodies and souls if we're not doing those things for ourselves. And of course, we have to have grace, right? But our nature has to get involved. You can't sit on your butt and expect at the end that everything's going to be perfect for you because what happens at the resurrection is that we we end up with the soul, the, the state of, the, not the state, but the progress of the soul that we ended with. We end up with the progress in the body that we ended with. I'm sorry, I don't think that made sense. We begin anew in the resurrection with the, the progress that the soul and the body made here. There is a verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, 3 that Augustine quoted and that the church sort of sees as a an affirmation of what I'm saying. It says, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. Meaning, where we end is where we pick up in the resurrection. So it is so important that we progress. We don't have to fly. We don't have to run. We don't even have to walk if we're unable to do that. We have to crawl, but we have to move. We have to move forward. You cannot be stagnant in your faith, either in your soul or your body, and expect that things are going to improve for you. They're not going to. And I'm not saying that we have to do it all. I'm not. God adds grace to nature, but faith is an action. It is not sitting on our fannies expecting everything to come to us and be done for us. Now, I know that some of you have, you have, you are struggling to progress, but the struggle is part of the goodness that makes us holy. So don't get discouraged in the struggle. But if you're not struggling at all, if you're not battling sin, if you're not creating boundaries, if you're not praying, if you're not giving alms, if you're not battling your sinful flesh and its habits, if you're not taking care of your body, if you're not taking care of your soul and progressing, oh my goodness, what will that body and soul be like at the resurrection? I've got some quotes by some of the church fathers, and some of this is just, it's, it's actually amazing. So Pope Clement I said, Let us look, beloved, at the resurrection, which is taking place seasonally. Even creation participates in the resurrection. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, but Pope Clement I, he refers to the witness of creation to the resurrection. He says, day and night make known the resurrection to us. The night sleeps, the day arises. Consider the plants that grow. How and in what manner does the sowing take place? The sower goes forth and casts each of the seeds onto the ground, and they fall to the ground, parched and bare where they decay. Then from their decay, the greatness of the master's providence raises them up. And from the one grain, more grow and bring forth fruit. Then we have the Apostles' Creed, which says very simply, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the flesh. Amen. That's in 125. That uh, Pope Clement I quote was in AD 80. So very early.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. If you're tired of being harassed by anxiety, fear, and depression, if you're ready to end the constant drama and pain in your relationships and circumstances, if you're sick of pain and disease and constant fatigue in your body, you need the Sacred Healing Masterclass. It's packed with practical tools for healing anxiety and woundedness, 10 hours of biblical Catholic teaching on healing for the heart, soul, mind, and body, and the latest science in physics, neuroscience, and somatic psychology. Healing is your promise and inheritance in Christ. Go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com homepage and click on the Sacred Healing Masterclass for details on how you can be healed. You will experience healing through this masterclass, and what you learn will dispose you for love, heart, soul, mind, and strength for the rest of your life. Polycarp of Smyrna, he has some pretty strong words. Whoever perverts the sayings of the Lord for his own desires and says that there is neither resurrection nor judgment, such one is the firstborn of Satan. Yikes. Let us therefore leave the foolishness and the false teaching of the crowd and turn back to the word which was delivered to us in the beginning. That's uh, the letter to the Philippians in AD 135. Aristides Christians have the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ himself impressed upon their hearts and they observe them. Why? Because they are awaiting the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. AD 140, Second Clement. Let none of you say that this flesh is not judged and does not rise again. Think, in what state were you saved and in what state did you recover your spiritual sight if not in the flesh? In the same manner as you were called in the flesh, so you shall come in the flesh. If Christ the Lord who saved us, though he was originally spirit, became flesh and in this state called us, we will receive our reward also in the flesh, he says in AD 150. Justin Martyr. The prophets have proclaimed Christ's two comings. One, indeed, which has already taken place, was that of a dishonored and suffering man. The second will take place when, in accord with prophecy, he shall come from the heavens in glory with his angelic host, when he shall raise the bodies of all men who have ever lived. Then he will clothe the worthy in immortality, but the wicked, clothed in eternal sensibility, he will commit to the eternal fire along with the evil demons. That's his first apology in 151 AD. He goes on to say, Indeed, God calls even the body to resurrection and promises it everlasting life. When he promises to save the man, he thereby makes his promise to the flesh. What is man but a rational living being composed of soul and body? Is the soul by itself a man? No, it is but the soul of a man. Can the body be called a man? No, it can be but called the body of a man. If then neither of these is by itself a man, but that which is composed of the two together is called a man, and if God has called that man to life and resurrection, he has not called apart but the whole, which is the soul and the body. So there again, we have this emphasis on the human person as both soul and body 
and both will be resurrected. And notice how we are already being resurrected. We're already being saved. Faith unto faith, precept upon precept, line upon line, the Bible says. Here a little, there a little. It's all a process. And yes, it's slow. And yes, it's painful. And yes, we get discouraged and we even sometimes despair and lose hope temporarily. But our hope is in the resurrection, knowing that our struggles are not in vain, as Paul says. Tertullian echoes that it's the same flesh. After the present age is ended, he will judge his worshipers. All who have died since the beginning of time will be raised up again and shaped again and remanded to whichever destiny they deserve. Therefore, the flesh shall rise again, certainly of every man, certainly the same flesh, and certainly in its entirety. I don't know about you, but just thinking about all the people who have lived and died in human history, can you imagine the number of of these people. Minucius Felix says in AD 226, see too how for our consolation all nature suggests the future resurrection. The sun sinks down but is reborn. The stars go out but return again. Flowers die but come to life again. After their decay, shrubs put forth leaves again. Not unless seeds decay does their strength return. A body in the grave is like the trees in winter. They hide their sap under a deceptive dryness. Why are you in haste for it to revive and return while yet the winter is raw? We must await even the spring of the body. I am not ignorant of the fact that many in the consciousness of what they deserve would rather hope than actually believe that there is nothing for them after death. They would prefer to be annihilated rather than be restored for punishment. Right? (laughs) I mean, goodness, I love what he says. The spring of the body. Now, I'm not saying that the body will improve to the point of resurrection. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, what kind of body do you want to meet the resurrection in? Afrahat the Persian says, Therefore be instructed by this, you fool, that each and every one of the seeds is clothed in its own body. Never do you sow wheat and reap barley, and never did you plant a vine and have it produce figs. But everything grows in accord with its own nature. So also the body which has been laid in the ground is the same which will rise again. Cyril of Jerusalem says, however, it will be this body shall be raised, but it shall not remain such as it is, meaning subject to sin and, and sickness and disease and death. Rather, it shall abide as an eternal body. It shall no longer require for its life such nourishment as now, nor shall it require a ladder for its ascent. For it shall be made a spiritual body, a marvelous thing such as we have not the ability to describe. Epiphanius of Salamis, as for those who profess to be Christians and who confess the resurrection of the dead, of our body and of the body of the Lord, but who at the same time say that the flesh does not rise, but other flesh is given in its place by God, are we not to say that this opinion exceeds all others in impiety? That's in 374. Now, what he's doing is correcting the view that we will have a flesh at the resurrection, but it'll be a new one. It'll be a different one than the one we have. So he's correcting that view. The Athanasian Creed kind of goes, it it expounds on the Nicene Creed. It says, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God, the Father of 
Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all men have to rise again with their bodies and will render an account of their own deeds. And those who have done good will go to everlasting life, but those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Unless everyone believes this faithfully and firmly, he cannot be saved, it says in the Athanasian Creed in AD 400. I posted in the community a Spay Salvi, an encyclical by Benedict XVI, that talked about this fire as a state of the soul. So Benedict XVI, who refers to other theologians, and this is my own opinion, actually, that the fire of hell and the fire of purgatory and the fire of God's love, the bliss of heaven is all one fire. It's all God himself. So it's not like a a physical fire, which is simply a foreshadowing or a form of the state of the soul that we find ourselves in, either in hell, in purgatory, or heaven. Thomas Aquinas also says with uh, Gregory the Great, I believe it's, no, it's Gregory of Nyssa, and also St. Faustina and Catherine of Genoa, other saints, but all of them agree that the fire of purgatory and the fire of hell and the bliss of heaven, they're all one fire because the, the Bible says itself that our God is a consuming fire. I build this entire idea from the scriptures and the writings of church history and the church fathers and the saints in my book fulfilled when we're looking at the the fire on the altar of the old testament tabernacle i did an entire teaching on that which actually you can find in my old testament series making sense of the the old testament on my website but my point here is that this fire is some sort of state And it's a state that both the soul and the body participate in and suffer in if it's hell and even if it's purgatory. Although purgatory also has with it this sort of bittersweet idea of the the bliss even of suffering that conforms us to the image of Christ. And then, of course, the saints in heaven, they experience the, the fire of God's love as bliss and beatitude. But either way... It is clear throughout Christian history and the writings of of church history and the scriptures themselves that there is a resurrection of the body. There is an elevation of the body, and it's so because Jesus himself elevated the body. By the incarnation, he received a human body and became divine, divinely human. And because he did, he conquered sin, he conquered conquered sickness and disease, and he conquered death. And so the whole human person rises with him. And so we see then the assumption of Our Lady as the icon of what that will look like. Jesus, because he was fully divine, ascended into heaven on his own power. But Mary's body whether it was dormition, meaning to sleep, Mary's body and soul together were assumed into heaven, where she reigns as queen of heaven. So our bodies, she is the icon of the whole church. And what we see is that our bodies as well, and collectively as the church, the body of Christ, will rise in the resurrection. And wherever Jesus' body is in heaven, wherever Our Lady's body is in heaven right now at this very moment, is where we will be, body and soul, in the resurrection with them. 
I, I don't know about you, but my head is like exploding on this. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. Quote, and this one from St. Augustine, Perish the thought that the omnipotence of the Creator is unable for the raising of our bodies and for the restoring of them to life to recall all their parts which were consumed by beasts or by fire or which disintegrated into dust or ashes or were melted away into a fluid or were evaporated away in vapors, he says in the City of God in AD 419. And this is one of those ideas that I know, I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm geeky this way, but I've, I've often wondered, like, at the sinking of the Titanic, when there are these huge natural disasters or um, or terrible tragic events like the Titanic, what must it have looked like when all of the souls went to to God for their particular judgment at the same time. If you could see that, what would it look like? And what about people whose bodies have been cremated or, you know, the body completely wastes away, rots away? Another interesting um, confirmation of the idea that the soul preserves the body is the incorrupt bodies of the saints when their their bodies have been reserved in state or exhumed to check to see about their holiness. That's one of the signs that the church sometimes uses to judge the holiness of a particular saint is the incorruptible nature of their their dead bodies. So if that's true, then how much more can holiness preserve your living body? And that's why Jesus says that the, the lamp of the body is the eye. If the eye or the soul of the body is one, then the body is full of light. So we get this idea everywhere. Augustine goes on to say, God, the wonderful and inexpressible artisan, will with a wonderful and inexpressible speed restore our flesh from the whole of the material of which it was constituted, and it will make no difference to its reconstruction whether hairs go back to hairs and nails go back to nails or whatever of these had perished, be changed to flesh and be assigned to other parts of the body, while the providence of the artisan will take care that nothing unseemly result. That's from the Handbook of Faith, Hope, and Charity in um, AD 421. So what he's saying there is, we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know how all the parts are going to come back together. We just know that whatever God does, it'll be beautiful. And we have the resurrected body of Christ that all the apostles saw and they touched and they they communed with. And we have also the assumption of our lady's body to 
show us and reveal to us that we will follow them in something similar in that resurrection of the dead. And that our bodies, again, I want to reiterate that we will receive the same body back. And the church is really clear that this is because it's the natural desire and state of the body to come to its supernatural completion. So all things then that have the seed of salvation, which is the Holy Spirit, they must end in life. So when we're talking about healing and physical healing, it doesn't mean that we're all going to be physically healed completely and that we're going to die somehow perfectly in the body. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the soul helps heal the body. And if 80%, as we have looked in previous shows, if 80% of our physical maladies are rooted in spiritual, emotional, and mental issues, then 80% of our, our physical problems would be cured and saved if the soul were also healed fully. I just cannot imagine what the health of human people on earth would be like if we took this doctrine of resurrection seriously and availed ourselves of the sacraments of the Eucharist and of confession. Well, all of the sacraments, actually, beginning with baptism and then confirmation, because that's what baptism regenerates the soul and makes it capable of receiving the graces that God gives us throughout our lives, throughout the scriptures, throughout the sacraments. And then the Eucharist and confession, the Eucharist, which nurtures the soul and the flesh. What if we received the Eucharist with a healing intention? What if we received confession with both a physical and and a spiritual and emotional intention? What if we made use of the sacraments in ways that included the physical parts of who we are? What if we kept in mind that our bodies are the temple of God? What if, and if, if salvation has already begun at baptism and continues throughout our lives, and this is true simply by virtue of the Greek language, because all Greek verbs have motion. So we were saved in baptism. We are being saved through confirmation and the other sacraments and in virtue. We're being saved by grace in all of those ways, and we will be saved at the end. If all of that is true, then we are physically healed. It's we experience it in time, but it's already accomplished in God. Our full physical healing is already accomplished in God at the resurrection. And if it's true that we receive the same body back and it has its wounds and it has its scars to testify to, oh my gosh, I just got a really cool thought. So, for instance, when we carry a child in our bodies, that's very Eucharistic. We are giving our bodies where it's a full physical self-donation. And some of us have stretch marks. We have physical um, 
We have physical signs of having done so. Some of us have cesarean section scars. We have all of those kinds of scars that show a an aspect of our faith and our obedience to God here on earth. Our flesh contains within it to some degree the testimony of our lives in Christ, and that's why they have to be resurrected. And if it's true that all of those things will be part of our resurrection, they will testify on our behalf, just as they do now. Our bodies testify to the health or the the lack of health of our souls, at least to 80%. Um, And the Of course, there are, I want to just qualify again, that 20% then are organic. Some of us have DNA issues. Some of us were born with disabilities and other things like that. And so that is an organic illness or deficit, we'll say, that will be corrected at the resurrection. There will be no sickness or sin or any sort of deficit in that way, but we will have the same flesh. So he will, in some way correct that and make it immortal. And if that's true, then it is extremely important that we are progressing both soul and body, that we're progressing spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. So we need to be taking care of our bodies. The 20% of physical issues that are organic, those will have to be corrected by Christ. But the 80% that is rooted in our spiritual, emotional, and mental issues, those we need grace, of course, to heal. But those can be healed. And that is our promise in Christ. All of those healings that he performed while he was here on earth testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, the giver of healing, the giver of restoration. Jesus won that in his obedience and his death and his resurrection and his ascension shows us that it is true that we should look forward to it, that we should live toward it, that we should be witnesses to that resurrection, both in our spirits, in our minds, in our bodies, in our emotions, in the whole of what it means to be a human person, we should be witnesses to the resurrection. And Our Lady was to the degree that she was assumed immediately. Her body is in heaven now experiencing that resurrection. She's experiencing it physically. And we are witnesses to that resurrection. It begins now. It began at our baptism. It is the seed of salvation, the catechism says, baptism, so that it grows. It should grow spiritually. It should grow mentally. It should grow emotionally. It should grow physically. So that at some point, as the prophets say, after we have lived a full life, fruitful In old age, full of sap, even unto old age, we can die, possibly in our sleep, and go be with God, awaiting that final resurrection. We are witnesses to the resurrection and the elevation of the body in Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.